Hi, and welcome to the Wise Healthy Bites podcast. I'm Beth. And I'm Catherine. With a combined 29 years of experience as registered dietitians, we're here to share real life nutrition tricks and lifestyle tips that we hope will inspire you to make healthful choices in the aisles of the supermarket and in life. This is episode number 36, Making Peace with Food. And on today's episode, we'll explore intuitive eating more deeply and share ways to start practicing this approach as soon as today. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in, and Happy New Year. We did it. We made it to 2021. We are both, we are all pretty excited. Um, So in the last episode, we talked a lot about, you know, quote unquote, diet culture, and how we hear a lot of messages around the new year about weight loss plans and things like that. And we really encouraged you to explore intuitive eating, which is more about tuning into your body. And while this seems like simple in theory, it is actually really hard to do. So we have another expert with us today who is going to help us on the journey. Yes. And we're so excited today to bring you Rachel Larkey, who is a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor at a federally qualified healthcare center in New York city. She holds a master's of science degree in nutrition from Brooklyn college, where she did research on intuitive eating in community settings. She likes to use her nutrition training to help folks feel empowered as the experts of their own bodies. Gosh, is that ever, um, powerful right there. She also loves houseplants, hiking all over the world and other people's pets. Um, and Rachel, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and hello. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited. You know, we've had kind of a little bit of, um, you know, kind of a series, I guess, with some, you know, experts coming on and we certainly love to have expert dietitians just in other specialties join us. So again, we're just so grateful uh, for you sharing some time today and our listeners will be as well. Um, so let's kind of just jump right in. So tell us a little bit about what intuitive eating means to you and just really share a little bit more about your path to becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think intuitive eating really at its heart is just a method to help you reconnect to your body so you can start to understand its cues and its needs. And I feel like it gets co-opted a lot by diet culture to mean eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. But it's so much more than that and so much beyond that. I think practicing intuitive eating really encourages you to explore the physical sensations that your body experiences, but really how you'd like to respond to them. Um, And it also allows you to really listen to and understand your emotional needs so you can take care of every part of yourself, not just your physical body, but what's happening for you holistically. Um, And I really love it as a practice because it empowers people to define health on their own terms and really honor their bodies. Uh, And I first heard about it through another dietitian like years ago, and I didn't even give it a second thought. I was like, that's nice, whatever. I'm going to keep eating until I feel sick. Um, And then uh, I think, you know, I've always been pretty against diet culture and really feeling invested in social justice. And I think that prompted me to look for a way to counsel patients and clients in a way that lets them celebrate their bodies, their cultural food traditions, just kind of exist as they are. Um, And I was pretty fed up with traditional nutrition recommendations, and I think my patients were too. So the more I started reading, listening to podcasts, I was following other dietitians on social media who kind of believed the same things. And that really led me to figuring out, okay, how can I get trained and certified in this so I can really start bringing it into my practice? 
Yeah, that's amazing. And I just love even as a dietitian myself, like just learning about another professional's, you know, kind of path to where you are today. It's just so inspiring. And certainly I feel like the reason why we've all become, you know, so intrigued by this whole, um, you know, different philosophy is simply because of dietitians like yourself that really are communicating this out there. You've, you've kind of like spurred our interest and, you know, help us want to share it with our wise markets customers and, you know, the listeners of this podcast. So yeah, thank you so much for giving us that deeper dive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was such yeah, a great just intro and description. And because it's not, I mean, I feel like sometimes, I mean, maybe I've even said it before, like eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full until you're satisfied, but it is more than that. And there is, we talked about it on one of our previous episodes though, when we first introduced intuitive eating, that there's different types of hunger. You can be physically hungry, emotionally, like there's just so many different yeah. types of hunger. So there's a, that's what makes it hard. It's not so simple as, as we often think it is. So, um, there are 10 principles to intuitive eating, and we did go into detail on each one back in episodes 23 and 24. And in this episode, we wanted to focus on a couple of them that have more to do with like our inner thoughts, things we're telling ourselves. Cause, um, um, we tell ourselves a lot of crazy things that we would never say to other people, but somehow we're saying them to ourselves. So Rachel, can you explain to us like about the principle of making peace with food and what it means to really give yourself unconditional permission to eat? For sure. You know, I thought a lot about this answer because I think it's so nuanced. Um, and I want to make sure that the, whatever I put across today is very digestible. But keep in mind that as I talk, there are so many questions that come up and nuances to this. Um, so definitely I can provide more resources. But I really think that making peace with food shows up really early on in intuitive eating. And there's no specific order you have to do these principles, but it shows up early on because it unlocks, I think, a lot of other things for you to explore about yourself and your body. And essentially, it's how can we help you focus on feeling calmer about food and eating foods without judgment, all foods? Uh, because dieting puts us really at war with food. It makes us feel that foods are bad, we're bad for eating them. And that's a really intense emotional connection to food to have. And it usually, I find, leads to feeling really out of control with food and feeling guilt when we eat certain foods. Uh, what we know about human beings is that restriction is kind of one of the biggest reasons people feel that emotional intensity and that guilt and lack of control. And the more off limits anything becomes, but especially food, the more heightened it feels emotionally for us. And so this is why the foundation of making peace with food is really kind of giving yourself this unconditional permission to eat. You can't possibly make peace with food and feel calm around all foods until you really allow all foods in. Yeah, I, I love think, that. Yeah, for sure. And actually, so this just makes me think, you know, this is kind of an experience I even had, you know, this morning and this is, we're kind of like shifting just gears just slightly here, but you know, one thing, so I have a four and a half year old, you know, this morning's a prime example. She wanted a cupcake for breakfast. Dietitian mom, me is like, I don't really just want you to have a cupcake for breakfast. You know, then in anticipation of our, you know, our interview here with you, I was trying to think like, what would Rachel's approach be? So like, can you maybe even just share, like, how do you merge this just with, um, you know, raising 
children. And again, maybe four and a half isn't the right age to really kind of start implementing this, but like, how do you bring this into like the family scenario? If I know we're kind of throwing you off. This totally. wasn't a question we kind of discussed. No, that's a really good question that's though. totally fine. And I will say I am not a mom, so I'm not going to pretend like I know better than, than anybody about how to raise kids. And, and, you know, the suggestions I make are just professional suggestions. Your mileage may vary as a parent, of course. Certainly. But I think it's the perfect age to start introducing the idea that there's no such thing as a good or bad food. It's all in there. And it's such a perfect age because it's a vulnerable age. You're learning about your food preferences. You're learning about how your family relates to food and how your parents talk about food. And that sticks with you. I have patients to this day, they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, older, and they remember when their parents said, no, that's a bad food, we don't eat that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's the perfect time to say, okay, you want a cupcake for breakfast? We can have a cupcake for breakfast. I want you to let me know what it feels like to have a cupcake for breakfast. Uh, did you get hungry again after? You can check in maybe an hour after eating. What did that feel like? Are you still hungry? Did you want that? Uh, do you want something else? Is there you know, other food that you're in the mood for as well? I think allowing kids to have a food is totally fine. As a parent, if you're very concerned, of course, offer other foods along with that, right? Yeah, we can have a cupcake for breakfast today, um, but let's also maybe include this egg or something else that we want to eat because it's good to have a bunch of different foods that we eat at breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, I follow uh, Feeding Littles on Instagram. They talk all about like kind of how to deal with the division of labor during mealtimes and they often suggest that if your kid is asking for a food that you just it's not the time for that food right maybe you don't have it available or they ate 10 cupcakes the day before and you're like we're gonna cool it instead of uh, saying like no we don't eat cupcakes for breakfast or cupcakes are bad they've got too much sugar saying something like cupcakes aren't on the menu today can I offer you you know these three choices for breakfast are these one of the things that you would like and that gives them sort of a neutral way to approach breakfast if you really don't want to give it to them and I think you bring up such an important point part of intuitive eating is gentle nutrition, making healthful food choices, but there's a reason it's the last principle. And it's because if you have these restrictions ahead of time, any nutrition decision you make could have the potential to feel very restrictive, like another rule. And that adds a lot of stress. To eating. And so sometimes we don't really approach the, okay, we're not going to eat sugar for breakfast because of X, Y, and Z until way kind of later in the process. So I hope that makes sense. I think there's a lot that goes into that answer, but ultimately, yeah, it's okay to have cupcakes for breakfast once in a while, maybe check in on how it makes you feel. And if you're not feeling it, offer some other options in a neutral way. I so appreciate that. And I'm guessing too, like any listeners that have littles, you know, in, in that challenge, even just like older children for that matter, you know, I feel like you totally have helped just like, you know, kind of improve my own confidence, I guess, in that decision. It's like, so we had a couple of strawberries, you know, and then we had the cupcake, but really about an hour later, she's like, I'm hungry. So it kind of tied yeah. in exactly with that explanation. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for kind of, you know, accommodating that questionnaire. We kind of threw it um, into the 
the, the conversation unprepared, but that was just an, such an awesome uh, response. And it really does kind of go into our next question too, so perfectly. Um, so now thinking about the principle of challenging the food police, which right there, I was even my own food police right there, like no cupcake for breakfast, probably not the best choice. So I was totally in that, that role right there this morning. Um, so talk about your thoughts, I'll kind of, again, how you declare foods as good or bad, you know, when, when foods are policing you or others around you or scrutinizing choices, mm. um, you know, because this is just, it is so easy right here. You know, we know this is something people do. And even a dietitian like myself, you know, I fell into that same trap this morning. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think we all have that knee jerk reaction because that's what we're taught. We're conditioned. I always like to say our first thought is how we're conditioned. And then sort of the second thought that we have is who we are and who we're growing into. So I think it's really normal to have a knee jerk. No, cupcakes for breakfast. That's really bad. Um, but, you know, kids, I want to point out before I really jump into food police, kids are fascinating because they're kind of the original intuitive eaters. Mm -hmm. We are born just eating intuitively. Like infants don't ever say, ah, no, I, I shan't breastfeed further. I've already eaten too much today. <laughs> you know, they, they just... They just ask for food when they're hungry and they they stop breastfeeding when they're full and they just kind of like do their own thing and I understand we're we're not infants we're not children there's so many factors at play there but it's fascinating to watch children eat because they're very intuitive and so I would say as you know trust your kids if you let them have a cupcake for breakfast I promise you they will want other foods they will that's just how they eat and the more we reinforce that and say okay, well, let's also have this other thing, the more they'll be able to self-regulate, the more we say no, which is kind of this food police we'll be talking about, the more emotional kind of response we have, oh, this cupcake's off limits, oh, I should sneak it, I'm not allowed to have this. Mm -hmm. And we feel the same way as adults, right? So it can sound really scary to allow all foods in, and I get that. It's, it's a really kind of radical idea when you're not used to it. Um, but most often what we find is that when you give that complete and unconditional permission to eat, we actually don't want the foods as intensely and emotionally as we did before. The goal is never to stop eating the food, right? We're not saying, well, just eat a bunch of it and then you'll never want it again. Well, the goal is really, well, if we kind of neutralize the emotional response to this food by having it readily available all the time and continuously allowing ourselves to eat this food, we're going to actually have the mental space to, to decide if we enjoy it and how much we want to eat of it. Um, and, you know, I the food police kind of show up, I think, as the instigators of this war on food. So we really, they come up in these thoughts like, if you've ever had a thought like, I shouldn't be eating this, this is bad or I never stick to a diet, I have no willpower. Um, these food police thoughts, I, I find they feel like they're keeping us safe, right? They, they wanna protect us, but really they're keeping us feeling anxious and critical. And it makes it very tough to achieve food peace with all of these thoughts kind of yelling at you, right? <laughs> you shouldn't be eating this, don't have this. Um, and a lot of folks think, well, I'm allowing myself to eat chocolate, I'm not restricting, so why do I keep eating it? But mental restriction, even just having the thought, I shouldn't be having this food, those food police thoughts, your body perceives that the same way as physical restriction. It's not allowing yourself to have it. So if you're having these thoughts while you eat this food, you're still restricting in a way and you still may experience that, you know, response like you would to dieting, like, you know, craving it, thinking about it a lot, preoccupation with it, overeating it later, feeling guilty. Um, and so these food police thoughts really show up in this kind of extreme judgmental way. Um, 
and they, you know, they come from a lot of different places. It's not your fault. They come from our upbringing, how diet culture conditions us to think, uh, sometimes comments from our friends, family, you know, maybe mom told us no about cupcakes so many times, but now we think that cupcakes are bad, even though mom meant really well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't always really recognize right away that they're there. Uh, so if you'd like, you know, I have a couple of tips um, on how people can start to kind of recognize and, and think about these thoughts. So I defer to you, you know, how much we want to talk about this, but definitely those food police thoughts are conditions. They come up often um, and, and half the battle is recognizing that they're there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Rachel, I can't even like, I have so many thoughts in my head right now. I just like, <laughs> I just can't like, I just have this big like sign that's like shooting yeses out to you because I just love everything that you're saying. And also just because we're dietitians, this doesn't mean that we are somehow immune to any mm-hmm. of this. Like mm-hmm. we are not. Um, no and, but, but yeah, if you can share, you know, definitely share those tips with us. I think those would be very helpful or strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's often feels so scary to make peace with food and to allow all foods. But I often recommend that folks start actually with the mental restriction and thinking about the food police, uh, how they want to start neutralizing those voices a little bit, because then it makes it easier to do the other stuff. So I usually have folks start by just observing. So really start to notice those thoughts. Um, and I give some tips. Yeah, hey, here's how you can notice what these voices sound like. They're usually very black and white. They don't leave like any room for nuance. They're really critical and judgmental. They use words like should, shouldn't, bad, good. Um, and usually they're pretty extreme. They might not be thoughts that you would share or that someone else might say to you, but they're pretty extreme thoughts. And so that's how you can start to recognize them. And I would say, write them down if you can. Mm -hmm. Jot them down on the notes app on your phone. Start writing down the thoughts that you notice and think about where did this come from? Where did I hear this before? Did I hear about it from my school teacher? Did I read this in a magazine? Why am, where did these thoughts come from and why am I thinking them? And then once you start to recognize the thoughts more quickly, you may start feeling comfortable challenging and reframing them. And we could do like 17 podcast episodes on how to reframe that because it's really like it's it's part of therapy. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you have that resource, great. But if you don't or you want to just start quickly thinking about reframing thoughts, I say aim for um, like neutral and affirming. So we want to take that extreme thought. We want to kind of make it more neutral and then add a statement at the end that's a little bit of a validation. Because mm-hmm. I notice, I don't know if you guys have this experience, but when I'm feeling a certain emotion, whether it, I feel that it's validated or not, if somebody kind of invalidates it or tells me not mm-hmm. to feel it, I feel it stronger. You feel it worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of happens with ourselves as well. Uh, you know, if you're having an emotion, if you're having a thought or a feeling about food and you're constantly squashing it down, I shouldn't be feeling that way. You know, this is stupid. Yeah, it's going to amplify. You're not really giving it space to breathe. Um, so I I have, you know, we'll take a, a food thought that's maybe really extreme. Like, I can't believe I ate that. That was so bad. You know, we eat something that we feel like we shouldn't have. And, and I can't believe I've eaten that. I'm terrible. You can try restating it just as a statement of fact of what you observe. I'm feeling very judgmental about eating that. So you're not saying the judgment necessarily, but you're calling it out. I'm feeling really judgmental about eating that. There we go. Neutral statement of fact. It doesn't blame you. There's no judgment there, but this is just kind of, hey, this is what's happening. 
as you feel more comfortable restating those more extreme thoughts into really neutral statements of fact, you can try adding on that affirmation. And it doesn't have to be positive. It can just be, and that's okay, or, and that's normal. So the statement might go from, I can't believe I did, I did that. It was so bad. I can't believe I ate that to, I'm feeling a lot of judgment about eating that food. And that's normal. And that kind of statement is super validating. It, it calls out what's going on. So you don't have to deny that these feelings exist because they're real. They're going to happen no matter how far into intuitive eating you are. But you also tack on a little bit of a, a validation there. Hey, I see this. I hear you in there. I hear this voice. It's okay. It's normal. And I think you'll be surprised at how powerful validating your own feelings actually is and how much quicker they go away when you're really giving them the space to kind of exist. So that's one of the sort of starter techniques in, in combating some of these food police thoughts. Yeah. And I think when you, you know, do something like that, like an exercise like that, it kind of stops it in its tracks versus saying, well, I ate one cupcake. I might as well eat the whole box, you know, so it's a way <laughs> kind of just like refocus yourself and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. And that does kind of lead into the next question is that, and I think one is one of the most critical and important principles is coping with your emotions with kindness. Because like you said, we can be really hard on ourselves and we'll say things to ourselves that we would really never say to anybody else. So how do you, and some of it might be just like that reframing your thoughts, you know, things like that and recognizing it, but do you have any other tips or strategies on this one? Definitely. And you know, it's so funny that you brought up your uh, four-year-old because I think it's so valid here to kind of think about these voices almost as like our inner child. If you've had ever a kid like throwing a tantrum, it often isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. Any, any person who's ever had to take care of kids or has their own kids had the experience with a child throwing a tantrum. And I think it's almost impossible to remember in the moment, but often when a kid is throwing a tantrum, they have very real big feelings that they are unable to express appropriately. And so it sort of becomes this big outburst. And we notice that if we're responding really negatively or we're yelling or we're chastising, often it gets worse Mm -hmm. before it gets better. And that's not our fault, right? Of course, if someone's like screeching at you, you're probably not gonna respond really calmly. And so it, (laughs) it makes a lot of sense that if our inner food police, if our inner child, if whatever sort of hurt and scared place is yelling these thoughts at us, we're not gonna initially respond with kindness. That's not what we're trained to do when someone's screaming. Um, But I like to think of it kind of as an inner child almost because if you start to validate those feelings and talk to those inner feelings as if there may be a loved one or a a kid, I usually say like a kid Mm -hmm. because it's usually your inner child that's wounded there. So if you're talking to yourself the way you might talk to a loved one or a child, that's a, a pretty great way to make sure that your needs are being met. But it's tough to go straight from yelling at yourself to treating yourself like you might a child. So I usually start by having folks write down, how would you talk to a loved one or a child who was expressing these feelings about Mm -hmm. this? How would you respond? Now write down how you talk to yourself in that situation. And let's look at how they're different. And then let's practice a couple of phrases we can say to ourselves in these moments that are much kinder and more affirming. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it's going to feel really disingenuous probably because that's not how we always talk to ourselves. 
I'm not focused on you doing a great job with that at first. What I am focused on is you telling me how it felt afterwards. Mm. So I have folks say, okay, let's decide on two or three things we plan to say to ourselves in these moments when we're really feeling critical. Practice it, try it out, just like you would any activity you've never done before. And then tell me how it feels after. And I have a hunch we'll start to notice some patterns, positive patterns. Hey, when I said that to myself, I actually felt pretty good. You know, it, I, it stopped me in my tracks, like you said. It, it stopped me from the behavior or pattern I normally engage in. The thing with our behaviors is that we have pathways in our brain that are sort of routine and practiced. And they're, they're real pathways. I mean, we are creating connections between the little cells in our brain every time we repeat mm -hmm. a pattern. And yeah. so to expect it to change suddenly, to expect to go from being so negative to being so positive is, I mean, that's a tall order. I don't think anybody can do that. So really it's about rebuilding those pathways and just kind of expecting that you may shift from negative to a little less negative. Mm -hmm. Then we get closer to neutral. Then we get a little north of neutral into positive. Then maybe it's a more positive experience, but you can't possibly have that without just practicing it. I yeah. just am sitting here. I think, well, I mean, we're all, I, Catherine and I in particular, I feel like we're just sitting here nodding, like, because everything mm -hmm. you're saying, just like <laughs> Catherine said, is just totally resonating. And there are like two things in particular I just wanted to call out. For one, you know, we, you mentioned earlier, and, and Angie mentioned this as well, too, just the whole concept of gentle nutrition as part of intuitive eating. But it's also here just like being gentle on yourself. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's just, again, like being mm -hmm. empathetic and, you know, and really do in treating yourself as if you would another in like, you know, obviously a kind way, which is funny because something we talked about in an episode, gosh, so many years, um, episodes ago, Catherine, it was, you know, when you maybe put on a shirt and you think to yourself, oh, that looks terrible. Like you would never say that to a friend. So don't say that type of thing to yourself. So it, you know, kind of translates in a lot of different, you know, behaviors like there, that's, you know, how your clothing is fitting here. It's like based on your food choices. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you're just like, this is just so fascinating. <laughs> and that's why, yeah. and this is, I feel like exactly like in the beginning, it, somehow like it seems simple there's 10 principles you know but it is in theory but it, in actuality it is very to do because the, I, there's so much ingrained in us and I think mm. it does start in our childhood and you know with and it's so easy like we label things good and bad all the time like when it comes to foods and it's really hard to unlearn those habits that have been in your brain they've been in my brain for you know 25 years or mm. I'm not yeah. counting like my little childhood. So like, yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's that super is. hard. And how lovely to give yourself grace to screw it up as yes. you do it. Right. Because if you expect it to all of a sudden go from like 30 years of conditioning to hate yourself or to hate your body or to get mad at food to all of a sudden expect it to shift. No one on earth could do that. Any little step you take closer to honoring and loving yourself is a positive step, even if it's really, really hard. And I like to sort of look at our emotions as gifts. They're often inconvenient gifts. They don't come up maybe at the right <laughs> times or when we want them to or in the way we want them to, but they're giving us information about ourselves all the time. And I think a lot of, I think especially uh, you know, in the U.S., a lot of our, our culture is rooted in kind of suppressing or ignoring emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and so intuitive eating is really lovely because it allows you to connect with that part of yourself, maybe in a way that you haven't had a chance to before. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm so glad that right there again, you kind of reinforced to like the timeline of, you know, really adopting intuitive eating into your life, because we know so many folks are really quick. They want immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. Really, when you think about diet culture, so much of that is, you know, quick, immediate, like, you know, lose X amount of pounds in five days, you know, do this and, you know, a result will come so quickly, you know, but this is, it's a process. So I think it's important to, you know, be patient, just like we've shared, you know, it's 10 principles. It sounds like you can just check them off, you know, check the boxes and you've accomplished it, but it really is a process. And just to kind of like, again, give yourself grace, be patient, be gentle, you know, to really, to be successful with this, this path. Um, so, I mean, gosh, I, we're already kind of like winding down here. So I want to jump into our last question for you. Um, what do you think is truly the goal of intuitive eating? Now, I know that's a question that's like this big, asking <laughs> down. Um, but you know, really what are we, what are listeners striving for? So this is something we did ask Angie, our last guest as well. Um, and the general theme was really getting to a place of inner peace within yourself, which I feel like we have certainly touched on in a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of ways here in this conversation. Definitely. You know, it's so funny that, that you talked about how it's a process. I really see intuitive eating more as a practice, kind of like yoga. You know, you do yoga and you have some goals in mind, like being more flexible, maybe, or, or decreasing pain or, or feeling more calm. But ultimately, you continue to practice it and get better at it. You never reach like ultimate yoga. You know, you're not like at the end of yoga at any point. And I kind of see intuitive eating really similarly. It's just a method through which you can and connect to yourself. And I really use it to help people feel empowered. You're the leader of the ship. You're in control of your health choices. You get to decide what health means to you and how you want to pursue it. And intuitive eating is a tool that we can use to help you with that. I really see like diet culture, those quick sort of, you know, lose five pounds in five days and, and do this and do that. It takes the autonomy away from you. It tells you, you can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. You can't be trusted in, in your body, in these foods, uh, around these different types of, of, you know, products. You can't be trusted. We're going to tell you what to do. There is a reason that they make like $74 billion a year in the diet industry. And it's not because any of these things are working for people. or helping. That's right. Because they're, they keep buying it. Way. Yep. Absolutely. It's set up for you to fail. And it's not only set up for you to fail, but it's set up for you to fail and blame yourself for failing. Mm -hmm. And the lovely thing about intuitive eating, there's no way to do it wrong. There is no way to learn about yourself incorrectly. It's all teaching you something valuable about yourself. So I really see it more as a practice, just developing skills that help you connect to yourself more, so that you feel really empowered and that so you don't have to depend on anything external to define what health is for you or to achieve it. Yeah, it's going to look description there from like process, which sounds tedious and kind of mm. like maybe not pleasant to practice. I I'm, I love that differentiation that you made there. So I'll change my word from process to practice right there. I love that. Yes. <laughs> I do like that. And it is, it is going to look different for everybody. No two people, 23, 24. That's when I even really started trying to incorporate that in myself. And I have to say, like, it has made a huge difference for me. I was totally the person that was like, I'm, I don't eat ice cream. I'm never going to eat ice cream. Well, then you're, you're going to eventually eat ice cream. So then like you eat the whole pint of ice cream because tomorrow I'm never eating it again. Okay. That does not work. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So now you have a little bit and you enjoy it and you're satisfied and you move on because ice cream's not going away. So it, and it's, it, it's, they're very small little things, um, but they do make a big difference in the end. And you do feel very, you know, you're just very at peace with yourself and you enjoyed what you had and you're satisfied. And it's just, 
I'm going to steal your word. Lovely. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I'm lovely. <laughs> so Beth, what is our takeaway tip for the week? You know, again, I feel like this is almost an unfair question um, because, you know, Rachel, you've just touched on so many fabulous like takeaway items, I think, for our listeners. So I would just really encourage, you know, if you listen to this podcast all the way through, you know, and you're kind of processing it go back and listen to, you know, somewhere around midway where Rachel was really just sharing those exercises, because I love that you provided really tangible, like next steps and application, um, steps for our listeners, you know, even for Catherine and I, for that matter, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and then, so if it's writing things down of, uh, as you've kind of like given yourself negative self-talk about a specific food choice or something to that extent, you know, or if it's just, maybe you're not a writer, you don't want to write it down. Maybe you just want to like take a few moments to like, think about it and reframe. I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen in more depth to some of those different recommendations. I think those are just so, you know, fabulous. That's a great idea. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in. You can get in touch with us by joining the wise dietitians, Facebook group, simply search for wise healthy bites on Facebook, or you can email us at wise dietitians at wisemarkets.com. The information shared in this podcast is intended for education only and is not intended to be a substitute for a medical diagnosis or treatment. The Wise Markets Healthy Bites podcast is owned and distributed by Wise Markets and Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation. Any rebroadcast or other use of this podcast without the express written consent of Wise Markets and Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation is strictly prohibited. Please click subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.